I think you get to a point, some, you could call it rock bottom. You could call it just like everything kind of getting stacked up and you just feel like you're getting pushed and squeezed into a wall. But that's just kind of how I felt like with the medical system. Like I had just been tossed around for so long, seen so many specialists, like, um, the IUD almost killed me. I had to like get it surgically removed. I was like internally bleeding from it. You know, like I had all of these things happen in a very short amount of time. And my doctors just kept being like, well, here's another birth control you could try. You are listening to Veggie Doctor Radio. And this is episode number 255. Welcome to Veggie Doctor Radio. I am your host, Dr. Yami, board certified pediatrician, certified lifestyle medicine physician, certified health and wellness coach, author, speaker, mother, wife, and human being. I passionately believe in the power of diet, habits, and mindset in sparking and sustaining well-being and joy in our lives. This podcast combines expert interviews and thoughtful monologues to explore plant-based nutrition, lifestyle medicine, parenting, mindset, and other exciting and fun topics. I hope that these episodes inspire you, uplift you, and equip you with the knowledge and tools to live your best life. Are you ready to get started? Let's do it. Hey, veggie lovers, welcome back to Veggie Doctor Radio. I have a fantastic episode for you today with Chef Bay. It is really incredible, her story, and I hope that you will get something out of it, especially if you're someone that suffers from endometriosis or menstrual pain. I think this is a fantastic episode. Before I tell you more about her, please remember that the information on this podcast is for informational and educational purposes only. It is not meant to replace careful evaluation and treatment by a healthcare professional. So if you have concerns about you, your child, anybody in your family member, their eating nutrition growth, please consult a healthcare professional. So Bailey Ruskus, also known as Chef Bay, is a seasoned chef, holistic nutrition, and health coach. She is classically trained at Le Cordon Bleu in San Francisco. She uses her culinary experience to create rich flavors with clean, nourishing ingredients. She is an advocate for people with chronic health ailments, animal welfare, and the environment. Her own plant-based journey started with her desire to heal her chronic pain from an 18-year battle with endometriosis after exhausting all other options. She furthered her studies with a certification in plant-based nutrition from T. Colin Campbell Center for Nutrition Studies and is a certified health coach from Institute for Integrative Nutrition. Bailey now hosts virtual corporate wellness classes around the globe, develops recipes for brands, and works one-on-one with individuals and families looking to heal through food. She also has a podcast called The Plant Remedy, and she released her first cookbook with over 70 recipes to kickstart your plant-based journey. It's called Cook, Heal, Go Vegan, and it became a number one Amazon bestseller in 2021. She lives in San Diego, California with her husband, Steve, and their pup, Coconut. So in this episode, we talk about her vegan plant-based journey, her history with endometriosis, and all the things that she went to how she talks about period pain and helps clients through that, why she believes that people should consider breaking up with dairy, why she became a chef and what it was like training at Le Cordon Bleu, and what made her transition to plant-based cooking after being traditionally trained and 
how that was. Was it difficult? Her, her journey of going from being a classically trained chef in a male-dominated environment to being a plant-based chef. We also talk a little bit about diet culture, and we talk about all the things that she wishes people knew. It's a fantastic episode. It's a plantastic episode. So I hope that you'll love it. Thank you for being here, veggie lovers. I appreciate you so much. And now let us welcome Chef Bay. Chef Bay, Bailey Ruskus, welcome to Veggie Doctor Radio. Thank you. I'm so honored to be here. I'm so excited. Well, before we get started, for those people that are watching on YouTube, you need to show them all the beverages that you have, have prepared for our interview. So what, what do you have okay. right now? Okay, so I have my chai. I like cycle sync my caffeine or no caffeine. So I'm in my luteal phase right now. So I drink chai during my luteal phase because it has like all the anti-inflammatory and it just like is so nourishing. Um, and I made this with homemade almond milk. So it's just like I have an oh instant chai gosh. dry mix on my blog. So yeah, I make it in like three minutes. So it's awesome. And then I have just like a pre-made, which is really rare for me. I usually make my own smoothies, but I had no time this morning. So this is just a pineapple passion fruit smoothie. And then I have my water. Big water. Stanley Cup. Very a really good. big water. I try to fill this up like four to five times a day. Um, it's like my, my biggest goal right now is to just get as much hydration as possible. So yeah, I'm, I'm a, I'm a, three beverages is honestly like a low number for me. I'm usually cycling between five. So yeah. I love it. I love it. Yeah. I'm just, I'm a water person. So I just, I have this really big, um, love it. hydro flask. It's like 40 ounces, but I love okay. it. So we're ready to go then. We've got the beverages. We're, we we're are well hydrated. Yeah, we're, <laughs> we're ready for anything. <laughs> All right. Well, let's start at the beginning. Tell us about your vegan plant-based journey. How did you get to where you are today? Man, it's such a journey. I mean, as it always is for everyone, I feel like, especially growing up in the United States, like most people I'd say aren't born vegan. It's like very much the opposite. We find this lifestyle through trial and error, through sickness, through learning about things. But for me, it was really like my journey with endometriosis that brought me here and just having chronic pain for 16 years and just trying absolutely everything, being totally ignored by all my doctors, having no one to turn to. And so I pretty much just turned to myself and um, I went plant-based as an experiment. My husband went plant-based with me and we were like, okay, 30 days, let's see what happens. He's like, I'll give up anything for you to feel better. You know, I was going to the Aww. emergency room every month. I was having surgeries that were going wrong. It was just like, I was on and off of pills and hormone replacements and, you know, Percocet. And it was just like, you know, I was in my mid twenties. It was a lot for that age. So, I mean, for any age really. And so we went vegan for 30 days and my whole life changed. Like I had energy. I didn't have like such shooting pains in my ovaries like I would normally have. My back pain was starting to go away. My acne was starting to go away. My anxiety, like there's all these like little sub symptoms that I was having that was all related that you don't really realize at the time. And on his side of things, he's a surfer. He's six foot four. He grew up in Chicago and standard American lifestyle too, like eating deep dish pizzas and Salisbury steaks and all that stuff. 
and he's had more energy than ever. His acne started to go away that he had since he was a kid. His body odor changed. He was recovering faster from surfing and exercising, which he does a ton of. And so after 30 days, we were like, wow, I think we're on to something here. And then 30 days turned to six months. And within six months, I was able to get off all my prescriptions, like everything, which I had been on since I was 11. So that was like a really big deal for me. And yeah, I just decided to change my business to be vegan at that point. And that's kind of like where it all took off. Wow. Completely, absolutely life-changing. And I love how you mentioned that there were other things you you weren't even like, I'm doing this for anxiety. I'm doing this for this. I'm doing this mainly because I'm suffering from this pain. But then you had all yeah. of the bonus side effects, positive side effects, right? Things that were related to the hormonal dysregulation that was happening in your body. How did you learn about a plant-based diet? What even triggered it? This sounds cliche, but like I watched What the Health. <laughs> And like everyone, I mean, I watched with the health and I was living in a really unhealthy roommate situation at the time. Steve and I actually, I think, watched it together. We were had been dating for like two weeks. You know, it was like very wow. early on. And then we kind of just like that kind of just like got like put on my, the back burner in my brain. But then I just started doing more and more research because that was a time where I think you get to a point, Some you could call it rock bottom, you could call it just like everything kind of getting stacked up and you just feel like you're getting pushed and squeezed into a wall. But that's just kind of how I felt like with the medical system. Like I had just been tossed around for so long, seen so many specialists, like um, the IUD almost killed me. I had to like get it surgically removed. I was like internally bleeding from it, you know, like I had all of these things happen in a very short amount of time. And my doctors just kept being like, well, here's another birth control you could try. Oh, that IUD didn't work. Like, let's just put in another one. And there was just like no actual real solutions because, you know, I was experiencing extreme symptoms from birth control too because I had been on it since I was 11 and at this point I was 25 26 and so I was experiencing like extreme mood swings extreme weight loss and weight gain like cystic acne depressive thoughts like suicidal thoughts all things that are just not me you know like I've never had like my family doesn't have history with depression. Like I'm in general, like a, a happy person. And so it just wasn't me and it was all just kind of happening. And I looked at what my doctor who was supposed to be the best specialist for endometriosis. And I air quotes that because it's not like I'm saying that she's not, but from my experience, it just like wasn't, you know, it wasn't good medical care. And I asked her and I was like, you know, diet has to have something to do with this. And she looked me in the eyes and said, it has absolutely nothing to do with what you're going through. And I just like knew deep down that that was wrong. And so I just made it my mission to figure it out. And I just did tons of research. I, you know, reached out to like everyone that I knew. I was online. I was, I was just going crazy looking at research, looking, looking at estrogen, looking at dairy, looking at all the things. And I think eventually my husband was like, you can only research so much, like you need to just try. And for me as a French trained chef, and my whole business revolved around cooking meat and dairy. So like, I was like, I don't really understand how I'm going to do this. This feels like a last resort for me. And it seemed really extreme to me at the time, but I did it only, mainly because my husband was like, I'm going to do it with you because I was addicted to cheese for sure. And uh, yeah, it was like that support that really, I think, helped me get from A to B. 
Yeah, addicted to cheese and immersed in cheese, constantly surrounded by cheese. If you're a French cheese culture, cook, I mean, like literally, like yeah. that was like super hard. But wow, what yeah. a wonderful support and advocate he was for you. That he was like, "Let's do this. You're in so much pain." I want to go back to the situation with the medical community, though, because yeah, I wonder. It's so hard because I think. Physicians are definitely biased because we're humans, right? So we have our own biases. But I wonder if the doctor felt like saying diet has nothing to do with it would actually make you feel better. Like, no, you're not doing no, you're not doing anything wrong. You're just this is just the way your body's built. This is just the way it is. We're doing the best we can. You know, it's so hard sometimes because I feel like we know that physicians in particular, one of the reasons that they don't recommend certain lifestyle changes is because they pre-decide ahead of time that it's going to be too hard for a patient or they're not going to be able to do it anyway. So I don't want to put this big yeah. burden on this patient and tell them, oh yeah, you need to overhaul your diet. Have you reflected upon that since that time of like what you think might be going on in the heads of some of these medical providers? Yeah, I think about it all the time, actually, because, you know, now I do health coaching and food coaching with clients. A lot of them who come to me have endometriosis, which makes sense because I've been I've been through it, you know, and I thought about it a lot. Like I my best friend is a doctor. Like, it's not like I think inherently doctors are bad. I think that's like a really dangerous rhetoric that does go around to the wellness space. But I just think that the system is not designed for the best patient care. And, you know, when I'm sitting, was sitting in those offices, like there were so many people waiting, like so many people waiting. And, you know, there's only a couple doctors for the office. So they have a very short window of the time that they can spend with you. And so inherently, I find that things just fall through the cracks. Like for me, with this specific doctor, with my surgery, there were a ton of complications, like a like $25,000 worth of complications that I didn't even realize happened until I got the bill from my insurance. And for me, that was, it. and my recovery from a surgery, she's like, you should be able to go to work in four days. I couldn't work for two months after my last surgery. And then I went to her and I was like, hey, what happened? And she just kind of brushed it off. Oh yeah, there were some complications. And I still to this day have no idea what happened in there. And I think for me, there's, it's just that like, I think it's just things are falling through the cracks, you know, like she's a human being. I'm sure she's just super bombarded and overwhelmed. And at the same time, like there's just not a lot of research that goes into endometriosis. You know, like the amount of stories that I've heard from other women and people who experience periods about just kind of like the gaslighting that happens or just like periods are no painful periods are normal. Here's a birth control, just moving on to the next thing, you know, it's just kind of like, but there's so much more to this than just a painful period. There's so much more to this than just like giving me birth control. And I think that is like, why I'm so passionate about talking about endometriosis because on average it takes 10 years for someone to get diagnosed. And a lot of that is just because the doctor just wants to kind of brush it off as painful periods. And I think there has to, there's some, there's some disconnect that's happening where it's like, no, this is affecting one in 10, one in 10. And that is just people who are lucky enough to get diagnosed. I'm sure 
it's much more than that. So I have a lot of compassion for MDs because they're working in a system that is fighting against actual patient care. And that in itself is just rough. Like the whole system is just, I mean, so flawed, but And I now know through my podcast and through the work that I'm doing, like I know so many doctors who like get it on the level that I just like always wanted to find a doctor who got it. But unfortunately for most people who are just going through their standard insurance or just going to their standard primary care doctor, they just don't get it, especially when it comes to endo. So it can be just super frustrating and, you know it's hard when you're going through it not to be mad at your doctor and to really see like the whole system as the problem and not the individual. Oh, for sure. I mean, I can hear the frustration and it's just like so many years of pain and frustration and confusion and desperation. So, I mean, that's, that's just really tough. You mentioned that having period pain has been overly normalized. So can we talk about that? Can we talk about what people think is normal and what people have no clue could be the possibilities when it comes to diet and lifestyle changes for period pain? Yeah. I mean, that's such a loaded question, especially when you're looking at like people of different classes, ethnicities, like it can vary so much. And I think there is just a lot of just people that don't believe women, like in general, like when women are in pain, like, unfortunately, it seems to be a very standard practice to just be like, it's in your head or you're being dramatic or you're a hypochondriac. Oh my God, the amount of women or people with periods that have come to me and said, my doctor called me a hypochondriac and it took eight years for me to like press and press and press and finally get diagnosed with stage four endometriosis, like blows my mind. And it's not just that, it's like PMDD and PCOS and fibroids and there's so much going on. And when we're really looking at like our worlds and how many chemicals are in our world, how many chemicals are in our food, the amount of estrogen that's in the dairy that we're consuming. It's like, of course, women are struggling. Like, of course, our bodies are like responding to this environment of toxicity with something around our menstrual cycles. Because I love in Chinese medicine, they really look at your menstrual cycle as like your main marker for your health. So like, how your menstrual cycle is doing is like your center of gravity and like let's work on that and like everything else will kind of like fall into place and so yeah I mean it is just common practice to kind of brush it under the rug and like for me you know I got my period when I was 11 which is really young and at least at the time like it was the 90s and my mom was just like honey this is just how it is you know I had super painful periods. My mom had super painful periods. Like, this is just what it is. Like, let's go to the doctor. What happens? I get put on birth control. Still experiencing painful periods with symptoms, (laughs) like extra symptoms now. So, you know, it just feels like, and even then it was like, kind of weird to talk about your period. Like now in 2023, everybody's talking about their period, which I think is amazing because it's like, why are we not talking about this? Like everyone's going through this all the time. So my pediatric practice, Nourish Wellness, recently went through a location change and an expansion. We expanded 
about four times the size as far as space. We went from two exam rooms to six exam rooms, and it's been quite a change. And, you know, we're really happy to be here. It was a huge leap. I decided to change a lot of things at once because I feel like, you know, just rip off the Band-Aid, make it the way you want it um, so that we can align our services with the quality that we're envisioning. With growth often comes complexity, but I'm so happy that we adopted TriMed EHR as our software solution for the practice. I was looking for an efficient and effective EHR that would help us maximize and leverage technology. When you're a small practice, when you're trying to be efficient, when you wanna maximize the effort that you put in, you want to leverage technology. One of our goals is to be as paperless as possible. And I love that TriMed integrates forms upon check-in so we don't have to print them and then scan them and parents don't have to fill out things by hand. In addition, parents can complete forms in the comfort of their homes before they even get to the office. However, we know what life is like. Life gets busy, little kids take up a lot of time. So if they don't get it done at home, they can complete it in the office on the iPad. We also love that we can send letters and completed forms to the patient portal for secure communication and easy access by patient families. But most of all, I'll never get tired of talking about their amazing customer service. Having had an EHR from a really large company previously, I can tell you that getting help was frustrating and time consuming. I didn't really feel like that other company I was working with really cared about me. I didn't really matter to them. I was just some little tiny practice, who cares? But with TriMed, it's completely different. Not only do they help right away, they know us when I call and I talk to them. They know who they're talking to. They know my practice. It feels like talking to a friend. I'm telling you, it makes a huge difference. And not because a lot of things are going wrong because we're super happy, but you know, things happen. You have questions. You want to tweak something. You don't know how to do it. Instead of spending hours trying to figure out how to do it yourself, a phone call that might take 60 seconds and they can tell you how to do it. Oh my gosh, that it makes such a huge difference in your life as a practice owner and as a practitioner. So like I said, we're really happy with TriMed. We're so glad we switched. And if you're looking to start your own practice or you're in the market to change EHRs, practice management systems, I really recommend that you check out TriMed. You can find them at trimedtech.com. That's T-R-I-M-E-D-T-E-C-H. I don't remember the statistic, but how many thousands of periods you go through in your lifetime, like we should be talking about this. And I think that's part of the problem too, for so long is that we didn't feel comfortable or safe talking about them. Or even like in school, like I had to miss school all the time and I constantly blamed it on other things. And that for me was just like, you know, it was weird. It put me out in a little isolated box outside of my peers because I was going through something that I just couldn't talk about. Um, so yeah, I think that answered your question kind of. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I, I agree that I think that we should be talking about it more. And I think that we should be exposing men to it more too. I have two sons and my husband is, he doesn't want to hear anything about it. And, and I do sometimes struggle. I had my tubes tied and that was a huge mistake. And after that, I had a lot of post-tubal ligation pain syndrome, which is a thing that I didn't know about yeah. before I got my tubes tied. But anyway, that's another story. Um, so I, 
you know, like struggling with that and just being more open with it, I think has been really important because I want my sons to grow up feeling like they can support other people in their lives that are going through this instead of it being like this secretive thing that you have to suffer in silence, you know? So, um, Oh, totally. Yeah. My husband, my husband's like, I never thought that I would say the word uterus so much. (laughs) (laughs) And even he knows now he's like, yesterday we were hanging out and he's like, wait, you're in your luteal phase now. Right. And he was like kind of planning his week around like what I'm going to need and like all the things. And I was like, God, I love you. Like you're just so tuned in, but he's been there with me through the trenches. You know, he was there with me post-op on that last surgery. He was there with me when I was, I mean, like I was yelling at my doctor at one point when they were trying to convince me to put in another IUD immediately after they had removed the last one that caused internal oh bleeding. And he was like holding me back, you know, so like he's been there with me through all of this craziness. And so periods to him are just like the easy, the easy part. They're like, oh, you know, this is no big deal. So when my girlfriends come over, they all know this is like a safe space to talk about their periods, (laughs) talk about whatever, because my husband is just like on, on team women and he's about it. So Oh yeah, my very gosh, I love sense. it. He should he should teach classes. Can we like, you know, hire him to teach classes to all the rest of the husbands and partners? I love that. I know. We'll petition him to to do a class for for men and to be more supportive around it. <laughs> yeah. It's true, you know, like we need support not to be like put in a corner and to be like, "Oh, don't go near her this week." It's like actually we could really use a hug and like some hot chocolate, <laughs> you know. Exactly. Yes, bring on the hot chocolate. So, when clients come to you and they're experiencing these symptoms, you say you have a lot of clients that have endometriosis. What do you tell them about the link between period pain and their diet and lifestyle? Are a lot of them they already are aware and they're seeking that or are they surprised? Yeah, I think, you know, a lot of times people come to me as a last resort. So a lot of times people come to me with endometriosis as an issue, but they also have IBS. They also have type 2 diabetes. They're also struggling with anxiety. Like there's all these other things that are happening. And then the first thing I we do an in-depth conversation about their lifestyle. And I look at it from like the whole person. So I look at how stressed you are. What's your relationship like? Are you intimate? Do you have joy in your life? Like um, how much water are you drinking? How much are you sleeping? And what are you eating? And a lot of times, like a lot of people are barely nourished, like barely, you know, they're just getting by. A lot of times they're only getting calories from animal foods. A lot of times they've been freaked out about just eating in general from their doctors. And so, you know, people come to me as a last resort, which I wish people would come sooner, you know, and I think there's like, can be this beautiful link between like me and an MD um, where we kind of like work together. Because for me, what I do is I help people link how are you actually going to do this? You know, like you need to make these dietary changes. How are you going to do this within your lifestyle, within your budget, within the energy that you have to give with the kids that you have, with the foods that you like, the foods that your kids don't like. If your husband's super difficult, which is like a whole other thing, husbands, can we just be less difficult? Like if your your wife wants to cook a plant-based meal, just like eat it. Like, what is your problem? Anyway, that's a whole other thing. But you know, there's like people are women specifically are going through 
so much, like so much stress, so much scheduling, so much just, you know, and at the end of the day, like their health just falls on the back burner, just falls short because there's not enough time to think about it. And so for me, it's really getting them on a plan of just being nourished all day long. So maybe that doesn't look like they're perfectly vegan, or maybe that doesn't look like whatever, but it looks like them getting as much fiber, as much plant diversity as humanly possible and doing it in a way that's super palatable. So like making sure they're drinking water, getting that smoothie in in the morning, because that's usually the fastest thing, like maybe having fruit ready to go for a midday snack, like having a veggie sandwich, like really breaking it down simply because sometimes it really is just about survival for people. And I think that, you know, I love to over overcomplicate a meal plan. Like I'm a chef, like that's like where I thrive, you know, but most people can't live in those terms and want to start really slow, really simply. And that's kind of where we get started. And then when it comes to talking about processed foods, meat and dairy, it's like, we really just want to lower our estrogen intake is kind of where I like to talk about it, especially with dairy, especially with meat. And I was just reading this new study that came out where like eating red meat increases your chance of endometriosis by 53%, which is crazy. Um, So yeah, it's all about just lowering the estrogen. And then again, with processed foods as well, we just want to like lower inflammation and just feel better, you know? We just want to feel better. And not only that, there's a lot of plant foods that actually help absorb estrogen as well. So when you're eating a lot of plant foods, you're actually able to absorb that excess estrogen. You're actually able to balance your hormones and like eating all that amazing organic tofu and all that stuff can just help you feel so much better. And it seems when you're first getting into it, like, is it really going to help me like that much? And the short answer is hell yeah, (laughs) it's going to help a lot. So yeah, that's kind of the way I start. And then I go into lifestyle. So I look at like the cleaning products you're using, tampons that you're using. Oh my God. Conventional tampons are full of glyphosate. They're bleached white, like, or like conventional tampons are so toxic. And that was a huge, that was a huge wake up call for me when I started changing my tampons to either period underwear or organic tampons as like a emergency reserve in my car. My periods changed a lot just from that. So there's like a lot of tiny things that are tiny that actually make up a huge kind of reasoning for why we're feeling the way that we're feeling. And it is all about our makeup. It is all about the water that we're drinking. It is all about, it's all about everything. And it can feel really overwhelming when you get started. But, you know, if you break it down, one thing at a time in the span of a year, your life is going to just look completely different. And all these things are going to be completely common practice. Like for me, I never thought that I would ever be vegan. And now I'm like the vegan poster child. Like I am so hardcore. I've written books. I'm writing another book that I just announced, which is actually called Breaking Up Dairy. And I'm just all about it. And I never would have ever thought this would be my life. So the same goes for anyone else. Like you can, you can do it. Like you can change, you can change for the better. And when you heal your period, I really feel like you can heal like everything else. Yeah. Because it affects your mood going up to it, in it, after it. I mean, it's (laughs) like a big part of our lives, you know, like if you could feel better during that time, 
it helps increase your joy, your productivity, how you can serve others. And I, I love how you bring in that, yeah, yeah that well being. That well being is so central to our lives and how we live and experience our lives. Is perfect segue to my next question: Is why should people consider breaking up with dairy? It's the topic of your next book. <laughs> Oh my gosh, how much time do you have? No, I'm just kidding. I mean, okay, the first thing I really love to talk about, we just talked about a lot of the health stuff when it comes to estrogen, but like ethically, dairy is one of the most cruel industries on this planet. It is so horrific for the animals. And I think when, like, okay, we're talking about our periods, when you're looking at it from just like the feminine angle, I really have really started to see dairy as like a war on the feminine in general, you know, like all these dairy cows are mothers. And I think a lot of times we don't think about that. Like the disassociation is very real when it comes to like what we're eating in our food system. And even me, like you kind of forget, like, you know, when I was in it in cheese culture, eating Gruyere, like you don't think about the fact that like the only reason that this cow is making milk is because it was pregnant for nine months, nine months. It carries a child for nine months. And then as soon as it has the baby, the baby's taken from it. The baby is fed a formula, which literally makes absolutely no sense to me. It's survived for like six weeks. Usually if it's a man, if it's a male, it's killed for veal at six weeks old, which is literally killing a baby, which I find it bizarre that people are fine with that or if it's for if it's a female then it's raised into be a dairy cow in isolation so they're all these babies are taken from their mothers and put in isolation crates they don't get to cuddle with other cows they are not and cows are very social creatures like they're this is very painful this whole this whole industry is very painful for them then the mother has all of this milk that then we take because we say, hey, this baby doesn't deserve this mom's milk. It's for us. We own that milk because we own this cow. So we own that milk. And it's, man, it's so rough because, you know, I, I made this video like uh, in December of 2021. And it was about this. And it was about how I really feel like dairy is a war on the feminine. And the Dairy Farmers Association of America got a hold of this video. And I started to receive death threats from the dairy industry, from dairy farmers. I, they started to stitch my video. They were showing things like, oh, look at how happy my cow is. My cow's rubbing against the machine like it wants to get milked. And I'm thinking to myself, yeah, because its udders, it's like its udders are engorged because you took its baby who's supposed to be drinking the milk. So yeah, it knows that the machine makes it feel relief. And so it's asking you to put, hook it up to the machine because that's its only option. Not because it just loves the machine so much because you have put it in this situation. So the whole industry is just so incredibly toxic. Like I just, oh man, it just gives me like such an ache. It makes me feel just so gross when I think about it. And not only that, you know, I was a vegetarian for a long time. These cows have, you know, five, six, seven pregnancies, eventually they collapse of exhaustion and then they're sent off to slaughter. Sometimes they die before they're slaughtered because they're so exhausted and those cows get put into dog meat, which is like, or kibble or whatever. So 
it's just so horrific. The whole industry is so awful. And if you're talking about like just solely the, I really believe in the energetics of food. If you're talking about the energetics of food. The energy of that is, is not good. It's not what we need to heal. It's not what we need to progress as a species. It's not what we need. It's not a compassionate way to eat at all. And I believe that with everything that I have. And yeah, so there's just so many better options at this point. So when you look at it from a health perspective, it is completely unnecessary and it actually makes our hormones worse. You know, like I had horrible acne for my whole life and I never thought about the connection of dairy and acne, but it's like so correlated and so connected. Um, and yeah, so that's, that's my opinion on dairy. I think that there's it's just like an ethical crisis that's happening within the dairy industry. And if you think about it, like dairy, like milking a cow was originally like a thing out of necessity for farmers or for people living in rural areas that didn't have access to things. Or that was like in the 1800s, like this is 2023. So like everything is different now. You know, we have such better access to other things. And when you really also start to look at the lobbying that happens within the dairy industry, like the meat and dairy industry has lobbied over $200 million against climate change reform against climate change reform. They also have the Dairy Checkoff Program, which is essentially a government-funded program that is making sure that small kids get advertisements to dairy, that is making sure that small kids are drinking milk in their school lunches, and it just goes on and on and on. The Dairy Checkoff Program is also a funded science-based research facility that is proving to people that dairy is good for you, right? But it's biased science, so you can't trust it. Because they're essentially paying these scientists to say, hey, make sure at the end of the study, it says that you need to drink more dairy for X, Y, and Z. So like a good example is the dairy for strong bones. It actually has been proven that if you drink a lot of dairy, your risk for osteoporosis is much, much, much higher. So yeah, I could talk about this all day, but I think I'll probably stop there. Well, that's why you've written a book on it, right? <laughs> so, writing, writing the there, book, yeah. There will, there will be more. And yeah, yeah, so I, my family, and I'm actually leaving for Panama in just a couple of days. I'm originally oh, Panamanian cool. from Panama. And my family in Panama are dairy farmers. So I grew up oh, wow. with this, seeing it. And I remember as a young child, just being out there on the farm. And we do have more of what you would call a traditional yeah. farm that you would picture in your head, right? Like it is the rolling beautiful hills and the babies get to stay with their moms for a year. So they don't get taken away right away. But I remember as a young child being like, this is really weird. Like basically we just take these cows and we take their milk and we drink their milk because we want it. But then it's the baby's milk. I was really confused, but you know, I loved milk and okay. also milk was always promoted as essential as I was growing up, right? So you need milk. Yes. Like basically bad things happen if you don't drink milk. And I was told by my doctor. And when I became a doctor, I learned the same thing. Kids need milk. Even teens need even more milk. Menopausal women need even more milk. Everybody needs so much milk. <laughs> that so is the dairy checkoff like, program. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and it was like one of those things like, well, I guess this is just something we have to do. It seems really weird that we're doing this. And I remember thinking as a kid, I didn't know the word exploitation, but I understood the concept of exploitation. Like basically we're using these 
living, beautiful creatures as our product, as our machines to supply this milk. But then my brain with the cognitive dissonance was like, well, we need it. So I guess there's no other way. That's just the way we have to do it. Right. So it wasn't until I became an adult and encountered and did my own experiment for 30 days that I discovered you actually don't need it and you're better off without it. And then that's when my whole paradigm shattered, right? So I think that when we start with this assumption, which is very prevalent, that milk is necessary, that dairy is right. necessary, that is, it is an essential health food, it changes all of the questions we ask after that. And I think that's why science in general can be biased because we start with assumptions and our questions only come from those assumptions and beliefs that we have. But if we change the paradigm, be like, do we even need dairy? And change it completely to the opposite of like, dairy is actually harming us. <laughs> then we're looking at different research questions and things like that. Do you love Veggie Doctor Radio, but you're sick of listening to ads? Join the Plantscription. The Plantscription is a monthly membership where you have access to ad-free episodes of Veggie Doctor Radio every week. But that's not all. You also have access to a monthly live Q&A with me and a monthly live book club. You also get access to writings and musings and free giveaways. It is such a great deal. Right now, it's only $5 a month to join the Planscription. If you want to join, go to planscription.substack.com or go to the show notes to follow the link. Join the Planscription today and join me in this plantastic community. Yeah. Especially when you look at the link to prostate cancer, breast cancer. I mean, when you start to look at these links and then you start to also pair that up with like, I mean, this is a huge basket of worms. I'm not going to go into it all of it. But when you link it up with like cancer and then like the funding that goes into cancer, you link it up with, with all of the connections that like big pharma has with big agriculture and you start to look at all these links of who's getting paid, you're kind of like, whoa, this is really intense, especially when you look at the meat and dairy industry and how it's all connected to everything, how much money is involved with it. And I feel bad because a lot of times people think, well, you know, like you were talking about, like, I thought this was good for me. I was just listening to what was told. A lot of people don't realize that like those dietary um, guidelines from the government and even like that are put in medical schools are paid for by the dairy industry. They're literally, it's like an advertisement. It's placed there. It's like, hey, we need to sell more dairy. So you guys are going to sell it for us. And I think that's what people don't really get is the fact that it's it's all done on purpose, but it doesn't mean that it's good for you. And I think that's a hard reality for a lot of people to wake up to. Yeah, for sure. Especially because a lot of us get addicted to it too. So then there's that totally. bias. We have our own personal bias of we just want to hear that it's good for us and that we should drink it because we want to <laughs> keep drinking and eating it, you know, yeah. especially with the cheese. So oh, let's yeah. go, let's go to your, your story about being a chef. So first sure. of all, why did you become a chef to begin with? What was <laughs> it like training at Le Cordon Bleu? And then how, how did the transition go? Cause I know that whenever you were thinking about making that transition, you're like, I don't even know if this is possible. So tell me from the beginning, yeah. why did you even become a chef? 
Okay, so I got my first job in a kitchen when I was 11. My mom was, mom had this friend that had a pastry kitchen. It was called a grand finale. And she was like, hey, you want to go work there instead of um, summer camp? And I was like, yeah, let's go. Because I was always like making cookies. I was filming myself when I was a young kid, like cooking. I was watching the Food Network all the time. I was just kind of obsessed with it. It was just such a good like creative outlet. I could like create something with my hands that was just delicious afterwards. I just absolutely loved it. And this was like the time I just didn't watch a lot of TV as a kid either. I just wanted to be cooking or being outside or whatever. And so my mom already knew I was very interested in it. So then I was like, of course, like, yeah, I'm going to make money. I'm going to make cannolis. I'm going to make buttercream. Yeah, I got that job. I absolutely loved it. And then I ended up working in a different bakery in high school. So I essentially would go to work before high school. So I would get up at 4 a.m., go to work, help make like bagels and cream cheese. And I would like make lattes and like do all the things that would basically run this little bakery in the morning. And I loved it because I would always come to school with like a cinnamon roll or like a big stacked bagel or something. So it was like, it was like a win-win for sure. And I had like a whole social group at work and I was also just a terrible student. (laughs) So I was awful. Like I would never go to school. Um, I was definitely like a little pothead as a teenager. I was just a super (laughs) rebel. (laughs) My poor parents, I was off the rails, but I look at that and I was also a kid that was dealing with endometriosis, being on very high doses of birth control. Like I was on Yaz back in the day when Yaz was, I don't know what Yaz is now, but Yaz was super strong. Like they had put me on all the like low teenage birth controls and they were like, okay, none of this is working. Like here's the big daddy, you know, and it just made me crazy, honestly. So I was just partying all the time. I couldn't. All my friends were like in college or from were from my job. And like I just even as a sophomore in high school, I just could not relate to my peers. I also grew up in like a very white, wealthy neighborhood outside of Boulder, Colorado. My parents were not wealthy, so I just didn't fit in. You know, people were getting like Porsches for their sweet 16 and like BMWs. And my dad was like, You better like work for that and save your money because I'm not buying you a car. Like we don't live over there. We live over here. So, you know, don't even think about it. So I just, I didn't fit in. I graduated with a 1.7 GPA. Like I barely, barely made it, you know, (laughs) like so insane. So I went to culinary school because culinary school will accept anyone. They'll take everybody's money because it's super expensive. The dropout rate is over 70%. And they're like, yeah, Essentially, like your application in is coming and seeing if you make it through because it's intense. You know, you're you're essentially being guided by these really intense chefs who are very sexist. And like I look back at that whole time and I'm just like, oh, man, you know, as a young woman, it was a really intense place for me to be in. But I was an intense person at the time. So I essentially went from high school in Boulder, Colorado. I moved to San Francisco when I was 18. And then I threw myself into Le Cordon Bleu Culinary School. And I was I was dedicated. I was living at the top of California on Powell Street when I first moved there, which is like the top, top of the city, like right behind Union Square. And I remember having my like 70 pound knife bag, just like hiking it up and down those hills. Sometimes I'd miss the bus. So I'd literally have to walk five miles to school. But I was 
dedicated. I made it happen. And um, yeah, I, I got through culinary school. I mean, French culinary school is the most opposite thing that you could ever think of to vegan. <laughs> like it's yes. literally just, you know, I had butcher classes, which I was very proud that I was the top in my class. I went into competitions on how quickly I could butcher a pig or half of a lamb or, you know, cut apart a chicken, which I think about that now and I'm just like, oh, my God, the disassociation with all of that is so, you know, it's like a very like male boys club that I was really just trying to fit into. Um, And yeah, I mean, everything was cooked in pork belly. It was essentially like an episode of Chopped every day. You know, you're trying to cook quickly, trying to cook as best as you can. Your chefs would like try your food. And if they didn't like it or they thought it was undersalted or something, they would spit it out on the floor in front of you and then make you clean it up. (laughs) Super insane. So when people leave mean comments on Instagram, I'm like, you guys don't even know. You can't hurt me at this point. (laughs) You know? My goodness. So, yeah, it was really intense. But... That intense experience made me realize I did not want to pursue a career in a restaurant because I was like, this is toxic. This is such a toxic environment. Like the amount of sexism that there was, the amount of just unhealthy behaviors, um, addiction, you know, like alcohol abuse. It was just, it was just not good. And so I broke down to one of my uh, advisors actually this one day and I was like and I was actually staging at a restaurant which I was experiencing sexual harassment on the line there from the line cooks and I was like you know I don't think I can do this like I took out a hundred thousand dollars in loans to be here and I don't know how I can live like this you know I don't know how I can work these 16 hour days in a very unsupportive environment and like miss all the big events in my family's life because I'm here working this job and getting paid, you know, $12 an hour and being very underappreciated. And so that's when that advisor was like, Hey, you should be a private chef. Like you would be really good at that. You're personable. She's like, you're kind of cute. Like you've got this whole thing going on. Like, I think this, you could be like your own brand, you know? And she said that to me when I was 19 and I was like, okay, like, I think that will work. And so that's when she got me connected with my first client And, you know, the first day working for them was a total disaster. I like set a piece of salmon on fire. I got like, (laughs) I had this blender that like exploded because I didn't like lock the top in. And so they have big vaulted ceilings and like the sauce got on the ceiling somehow. When they came home basically ready for dinner, there was no dinner (laughs) ready for them. But they were so nice. They like sent me home in a black car and like had a gift for me. And we're like, let's just get takeout. It's fine. Like, don't worry. And so like that was a level of hospitality that I hadn't experienced yet because working in that chef culture was just so much more intense. And that's pretty much where my private chef career just took off. I was like, this just feels better. This feels so supportive. I'm going to figure this out. And so... I started private chefing. I was working for really big executives, professional athletes. Like I was just really threw myself in that culture. And then I started doing retreats and yeah, it was amazing. I worked in restaurants still like on and off if I needed some extra money. Um, 
And yeah, that's kind of how my whole career kind of took off. It was just from <laughs> a little bit of desperation and just, you know, winging it basically. And I've, I'm still a private chef now. I have a couple of clients that I work for, a couple of VIP clients. And every once in a while, I'll get like a request from a professional athlete or something like that. And I'll do that. Um, so yeah, that's kind of how my whole career took off. And then when it came to going vegan, I remember I had been vegan for six months and I was in a client's kitchen and I was gutting a fish, listening to a James Aspie um, speech. And I'm listening to this speech from James Aspie about just like animals and like this whole thing. I'm literally gutting a fish at this moment and I'm crying over this fish. Like my tears are hitting the fish. And I'm like, I can't do this anymore. Like I am not aligned officially. Like what's happening here is not happening here. And like, I need this to all be aligned. So I basically sat my clients down, all of them. And I was like, Hey, like I can't cook meat and dairy anymore. I know this is a really big transition for you guys, but I'm just, I can't do it. Like I'm not in it. And so I lost pretty much all my clients except for one. And I lost a lot of followers online. I got a lot of hate online, but I just like knew I had to be consistent ethically, like with what was going on in my heart, what was going on in my business and what was going on for me too. Like I just knew that ethically it wasn't right. It wasn't the best thing for my clients either, especially because a lot of my clients were people who were dealing with like pretty extreme health problems as well. Yeah, but it was such a great leap. I'm so glad I made it. I mean, it was a rough start for sure, but now it's my thing and people love it, you know, and most of my clients now are not vegan, but they love my food. So it's a win-win. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Yeah. What a big leap you had to take that took a lot of courage and bravery, but you're right. It's so many different ways that it, it wasn't aligned. And you were also feeling like, is this ethical? Like I would feel like that too. Like, okay, I'm getting paid to make food for people that could be harming them. I don't know how I'd feel about that, you know? So it was probably difficult, but now it seems like you're glad you did it. So that's good. <laughs> and it's brought you other yeah. rewards and treasures. It has, it has more purpose, you know? It's all about, you know, more purpose and more than just a means to an end, you know? It has, it's not just like pushing out pretty plates one after another, not thinking about the ramifications or the ripple effect that that plate has, it's really thinking about that as like a tool to enact change. So yeah, it's just a different mindset. Wow. What a journey. Well, I want to switch gears and talk about yeah. a topic that's really important to me and something that I'm really passionate about, and that's diet culture. So I would love to know your thoughts. I know this is probably a big, this is a whole podcast episode, but let's try to keep it short. No. Okay. <laughs> Okay. 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 So, I know I'm a talker. Right. Um, <laughs> what do you, what do you think about diet culture, especially in the plant-based community and how it can influence our body image, but also how it influences our conversation around women's health issues? Oh, that's a big question. It is a big um, one. <laughs> you have 30 seconds. Okay, I was joking. Should we, do, should, should we do a part two? <laughs> Um, you know, it's so, it's so insane because I think, you know, when I first hear that question, what comes up is I had a friend the other day be like, wow, you look so healthy for a vegan. Like most vegans I know are super, super skinny and like almost seem like they have an eating disorder. And that, that, that comment, like she kind of said it just so nonchalant, but it really just like stuck with me because, you know, I think for a long time before there was a lot of like 
conversation and research about plant-based and how it's actually been eaten in abundance and how it's this beautiful, amazing thing for health and nourishment, I do feel like sometimes people used the lifestyle to restrict, right? And to restrict their eating and to almost punish themselves. And I think it's this big cultural shift that needs to happen into thinking, no, I'm not vegan because I'm restricting. It's actually the opposite. I was restricting the other way because I was getting most of my calories from, you know, animal protein, which is so calorie dense. And now I have all this room to eat all these other things. And so it's this really intense kind of like shift that we need to switch and thinking about eating with abundance versus eating from scarcity, eating from lack, eating from fear, eating from self-hatred. You know, I think I think it's a lot of times like diet culture has taught us to hate ourselves. Like, you know, and I have, I have those feelings. I have extreme body dysmorphia from having endometriosis, from having surgeries, from my body changing so much. Like, I don't even know what my body really looks like. I think my husband thinks I'm absolutely insane, but it's just, you know, he's like, what are you talking about? You know, but I see myself totally different than he does, but that is diet culture. Diet culture has taught us to take up as little space as possible. It has taught us to hate ourselves. It has taught us that weight is the only measure of health. And I think that rhetoric is just, it's so, I mean, I know it's so damaging, you know, it's so damaging to how we look at health, to how we look at food, to how we look at our calorie intake. You know, everyone's so freaking concerned with their calories or their macros. It's like, no, like I'm looking at like micronutrients, and like how many you can eat in one day, like how much food can you eat? That's going to like make you feel amazing. You know, it's all about eating in abundance. And I think for me, that was a huge shift that I had to make was like, it's not about restricting. It's about abundance and eating in abundance. And even now, like I just got a comment yesterday that was like, Hey, did going vegan help you lose weight? And what I really think the answer is, is like going plant-based and eating healthy and feeling vibrant helped me get to the weight that was safe for my body. So I actually gained weight when I went plant-based. I look back at pictures of me from when I was, you know, pre, pre-plant-based days and I was so skinny. Like I was so skinny and I didn't even realize how skinny I was. And now like I've got more meat on my bones. Like I'm just healthier. I've got more vibrancy in my face. And that's just because I don't restrict myself. I eat as much as I want to. I eat until I'm full. When I'm hungry, I like I'm grabbing for snacks, you know, like I am not restricting. And I think a lot of that is me actively putting diet culture away. I'm actively being like, this does not have any place in my brain anymore. I'm going to love and nourish my body. Yeah, sometimes I have a hard time with the fact that I'm two sizes bigger than I used to be or whatever, but like that's secondary. How I feel is always, you know, first. And that in itself, I think can be really hard for people to think about eating in abundance because like we're taught the opposite. You know, my grandmother, she would never finish her dinner ever. She would eat like a little bird you know, and that is diet culture in her brain. And she would always say, no, women are never supposed to finish their meal is what she would say to me. And I was like, okay, <laughs> okay. Like that's super weird, but okay. Like I'm going to eat. <laughs> you know? so, you do you, yeah, grandma. I, think, <laughs> I know, but it's ingrained from their culture. You know, she was born in the twenties. So, so yeah, I think I answered most of your question, but 
yeah, it's just totally shifting the way that we think about things. And diet culture has such a big effect on everything, has an effect on our hormones. You know, when we're restricting, we're not giving our bodies what they need to thrive. And like what, what the reality is, is that our bodies go through so much every month. Like we need so many nutrients to keep this train moving from ovulation to our luteal phase to our menstrual phase. Like so much is happening. Like we need so much energy to thrive and to think of it as like putting gas in your car. It sounds so silly and like cliche, but it's so real that like you need that gas to keep going. So yeah. Yeah. Ugh. It's so complicated and there's so many emotions involved, but I agree. That's why I try to bring it back to that well-being. How can we make choices that help us feel better and not choices to just change our appearance? Because sometimes the choices we make to change our appearance are actually not things that increase our well-being. It might actually decrease our well-being and our mental health. Right. So it really is about that long game of what can we do that's sustainable, that feels good, that helps us live that long, healthy, vibrant life and spread joy and serve others. So yeah, lots of great thoughts there. Well, what do you wish more people knew? I mean, you are in so much more control than you think you are. You know, I think a lot of times we're taught that we have to seek all this outside help. We have to take all these pills or we have to do all these external things but like a lot of the answers we already know and we have so much more control over our health than we are led to believe and I wish more people knew that because I think I really believe that like healed women can really heal the world and I think it's really hard as women to worry about all the problems that we have in the world because we don't feel good because we are tired, we're sick, we're in pain, you know, we're dealing with all of these things. And I just wish that we all kind of collectively realize that we have more of a choice in, in the matter. And with that choice, I think would come a very different just future for all of us. And just learning to tune into that intuition too is is what I hear you saying is we don't always have to be seeking that external validation or external rules. You know, we can go inside and, and feel, feel it out what the truth is for each one of us individually. Exactly. Yeah. I think we already know so much like women are powerful creatures. And I think that's what the man is very scared of. And not like men, but like, you know, the man. <laughs> is very scared of women because we are a force to be reckoned with for sure. I agree with that. Well, do you have a morning routine? And if so, if you can share it with us. Yeah. I mean, my morning routine always starts with a cuddle. Like I'm a cuddler for sure. Like that I leave at least 20 minutes in the morning to like snuggle with my dog, snuggle with my husband if he's here, if he's not surfing. I just like love it. My dogs love it. Like it's all part of everyone's routine. Like we're all just there. We're like awake. I'm like petting them. It's just like that moment of joy that I get first thing in the morning. Like I'm just not an alarm goes off and hop right out of bed kind of girl. Like I need that moment of integration, being awake, like starting the day off with love. So I love that's like the best part of my day for sure. And then I drink one of these guys. So I drink 30 ounces of water 
And then what else? I do my skincare. I try to get like five minutes of sun on my face at least. I let my skincare sit for at least five to 10 minutes before I put my makeup on. And yeah, that's pretty much it. It's pretty simple. Like I just always want water. I get something healthy in my stomach. So if that's like a handful of, I love pineapple. So a handful of pineapple or like a fruit bowl or a quick smoothie or something. And then once I kind of do all of that, then I'll have caffeine. Cause I've noticed that sometimes when I'm really busy or I have a lot going on, I will spend my morning that I have like cuddling in the morning. It's like my biggest weakness, honestly. And then I have like five minutes to do everything else. And so then I'll go straight for the caffeine sometimes. And I've noticed that that does not make me feel good for the rest of the day. So that rest of that routine is really important to like fuel me and get me out. So yeah, that's pretty much, pretty much it. Every single day I pretty much do that. And I have, you know, as we talked about all my beverages that kind of like get me started. You're a well hydrated woman. <laughs> I'm trying. It's hard out here. <laughs> I love your cuddle routine. I need to integrate that. I'm definitely a jump out of bed, get started, ready to go in the morning. But on Sunday, Sunday is my day. I allow myself to sleep in and I definitely cuddle a little bit more with my with my puppy, with my dog, and take it slower. It'd be nice to yeah. do that every morning though. <laughs> Even five minutes, you know, it's just like a little bit of joy and like, just, I love it. Get that oxytocin. It just feels so good. I mean, literally, sometimes I wonder if I'm exploiting my dog because I use her. (laughs) Like, I'm like, come here. I'm anxious. Just like hugging her. She's like, look at me like, what's going on? (laughs) She's She's like knowing she's your emotional support animal. Yes. My anxiety relief. Well, Chef Bay, you're just wonderful, fantastic. Thank and you. I want to know where listeners can connect with you. Tell us about your book that is already out, has been out, Cook, yes, Heal, out. Go Vegan. And then oh, um, yeah. about your upcoming book, where can we find out more about that? Sign up to be the first to buy it. Tell us all the details on that. Yeah. So Cook, Heal, Go Vegan's been out for almost two years now, which is so crazy to think about. Um, but yeah, it's been amazing. It's published all over and I love it. It's essentially, it's a great beginner's guide to going vegan, but there's a lot of great like chef developed recipes in there. Obviously, um, I essentially matched my classic culinary kind of techniques in with a plant-based diet. So there's just tons of flavor. It's not like a basic cookbook there's definitely like a levels to it um but if you really are trying to get that like super amazing like cuisine vibe but also be plant-based and also like heal your body it's definitely a good book for that um and my next book's not coming out till 2025 so we've got some time i just announced the deal like last week actually so yeah we're still in the very early phases i still need to write it so there's that part of it (laughs) no big deal (laughs) i i Um, sense you're gonna spend a lot of time cuddling i know how the book writing process goes (laughs) totally so much editing i know it's so true so yeah we're still writing we're still testing that one um but i'm really excited that that's going to be coming out i think everyone's going to be ready for it too it's going to be right after an election um so i think everyone's going to be kind of like looking towards going to come out new year's um 2025 so i'm very excited for that i'm going to be doing like sneak peeks on like all the stuff on that. I'm also going to be doing a lot of questions over on my Instagram. So everyone can kind of get to know, you know, the book and like 
put your input in because it is breaking up a dairy. So I want to know why breaking up a dairy is very hard for you so I can tackle that in the book. And other than that, you can find me on Instagram at chef underscore bay. Same thing for TikTok. Hope TikTok stays crossing my fingers. And um, yeah, I also have a a course called the period liberation protocol where I talk about plant-based diet and all the things that we talked about today that basically goes in depth. So if you're experiencing painful periods, come talk to me. It is a great course for that. And that's it. YouTube, like I'm just everywhere. So you can find me. Nice. (laughs) We'll put, we'll put all your links. Okay. So last question before we go, what are your top five wellness hacks and habits? Top five wellness hacks and habits. Okay. Number one is water before coffee. It sounds so trivial, but like we got to be hydrating. You know, when we wake up in the morning, we're so dehydrated. So we got to hydrate. I would say on the reverse of that, I always try to end my day with something like hydrating and nourishing as well. So whether that be like a fruit bowl or water or tea or something like that. So that's the second one. I would say the third one is to follow your own inner compass when it comes to your body and your healing and your health. Because that wellness hack, like there's no trend or influencer or anyone that can get in the way of that, you know. And then I would also say to stop consuming refined sugar, to switch to coconut sugar, um, something that's just a lot less inflammatory, also more eco-friendly, which is like a big deal. What is my fifth wellness hack? You know, I'm going to say to learn how to enjoy cooking because it's such a intimate, primitive thing we can do for ourselves. Put on music, find a recipe you like. If you don't like to cook, just get yourself into it. Sometimes we just have to force ourselves into things. And it's something that is a lifelong skill, a lifelong practice that can help you connect to other people. It can help you connect to yourself. It's awesome to learn something new. So I would say that's the last one. I love it. Beautiful. Chef Bay, it's been such a pleasure to meet you. I hope that you come back when you're ready to promote your next book. So I definitely yes, want to have that in-depth conversation. I'm grateful for everything that you've done and for you sharing your journey with us. And I hope that you have a very plantastic day. Thanks. It's been a pleasure. I appreciate it. Hey, veggie lover. I hope that you loved today's episode. Will you take a second and do me a huge favor? Please subscribe to my podcast so that you never miss an episode. You're the reason I'm here and I want to share it all with you. Thank you for listening and have a plantastic day.